Hey, it's Jason, lead pastor of Cast Reliance Church. Thanks for dropping in to our weekly teaching podcast from our Sunday morning worship gathering at Casper Reliance Church in Casper, Wyoming. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at casperchurch.com. This is week 13, talking through the end of the book of Acts. We just did an overview of it all. We're kind of in the middle of doing a bunch of stuff on Paul and his attitude and the way his emotion and how he defended himself and just the end of uh, going through the book of Acts. Hey, have a great week. We appreciate you listening to us. Well, all right. So we're getting ready to wrap up Acts. Um, and this is our man, Paul, is on trial again, always on trial, always in trial. Hey, turn with me to Acts 9 real quick. Let's make a little connection between, between Saul's conversion to Paul and our current place and time. And then I'm going to rapidly wrap this up. I, there are two things I'm going to say to you uh, that I think are obvious. Um, every time I say I'm going to wrap this up, it lasts seven minutes to 80 minutes, but I will say, let's go to Acts 9. I want to, I want to give you a snapshot, I think, of why Paul is able to say, if I'm going to die, I'm ready to die, which is frankly one of those things that like I have a tough time with just personally. And we were talking earlier, Sherry and I, about uh, um, driving. Like I've become very nervous driving on ice and snow. Like I've driven on that my entire life. And I think it's because like the more, I can see mortality. Like I'm actually closer to death than I am to being born. Like I, I'm, on the, I'm on the downhill slide of life. I'm not gonna tell you, all you that are older than me are like, oh, come on. I'm like, no, I can see it. The tunnel there is fat, it's just coming quick. And I see the light. So like I, like I wanna preserve all that I have. So all of a sudden I start to see that in my life. Like, hey, I don't wanna drive on this road anymore because I'm scared. And I, I could easily see myself, and maybe that's just because I'm a bad driver, but I could easily see myself like not being alive because of some unforeseen circumstance. And I, there are a number of things that like, I'm, I'm paying attention to that are like, like moles. Like I'm not making an appointment yet to a dermatologist, but I look at my face and I'm like, oh, I need to get that checked. Anybody doing that yet? When you hit a certain age, you try to go, I don't know if I had that mole there last week. I'm, I'm adding moles to my number every day. And I... Like the, so I'm all of a sudden aware of these things that might be my demise. And so, but when Paul can say and stand before people who are charging him, who have control over his life or even the outcome of this particular moment, you know what, if, I, if I'm going to be, if you're going to kill me over this, fine. I'm ready to go be with Jesus. And all of us can say that, I think. We can all say that. Yeah, I'm ready to go be with Jesus. But, like, I'm not sure that we all are all the time ready to go be with Jesus. Not today. And yeah, like, let's, let's wait till I'm, like, and so that's like a thing that I, I think that we wrestle with sometimes. But let's, let's capture a little bit why I think Paul has this uh, already built-in framework that if I'm going to die, I'm going to die, and I'm going to do it for Jesus. Turn me, Acts 9, let's pick it up at 10. So the... He's already been, Paul, Paul, why have you, Saul, why have you crucified, uh, persecute me? And then he is getting ready to get 
discipled. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to, to, to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see. But the Lord exclaimed, Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by leading priests to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid hands on him and said, Brothers, Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained strength. The guy who was going to nurture Saul Paul back to health, to baptize him, to lay hands on him, to pray for him, to care for him, to help, was given a vision by the Lord and said, this is my guy. Paul, Saul from Tarsus is my guy. He's my chosen instrument and I, he is going to experience suffering. He's gonna experience something of, of wildness in his life that's gonna be painful, hard. I mean, suffering's a big, big pot. We can put a lot in, like if you made a, a pot of suffering stew, it would be filled with most everything that's painful in the world. Slick roads and moles would be part of that. And it's just, it's part of the life of suffering. We can't necessarily define it. Your suffering, my suffering, your truth, my truth. You know, how you suffer and how I suffer might be different, right? I'm joking. Suffering, we can identify as pain, death, boils, plagues, anything that hurts my body. That's suffering. Ananias was told that Paul would stand before kings, leaders, all of Israel, to bring the name of Christ, Messiah, to everyone, to the Gentiles. So as Paul stands, stands before the people charging him, he says, if you're going to take me, take me. I'm ready to go be with Jesus. Because he understands the call that's on his life. He understands what God's, God has asked him to do. And he's charging forward. Hey, does anybody have an arch nemesis in their life? You have anybody? Do you want me to talk to, is it a girl or a boy? All right, after church, let me know. I'll, I'll have a call. I'll give him a call. Like, thanks for admitting that, by the way. I had an arch nemesis in high school. It's kind of a silly story. I'm not going to share. But I had an arch nemesis that we, like, you know, we would battle over things. Like, nothing important, nothing that mattered. Nothing really matters in high school except for staying out of trouble and having a decent GPA, high school students. 
nothing Matt like but so we we would battle back and forth and be competitive with one another it wasn't evil or mean or tough with one another but it would be we would like we would like it was like a rivalry um and it never got ugly and it never got um never got mean and, but it was always so it was more like a rivalry as opposed to an arch nemesis but there are people out there in this world who are just enemies enemies of of your faith. And there's one family that continues to come up that just is the enemy of Christianity. Herod. Do you know any Herods? Do you know anybody named Herod? I don't think anybody names their kid Herod. They might name Harry or Harrison. We knew a Harrison who was kind of a tyrant in Iowa, ran around baseball fields acting like a buffoon. But like we... But I don't know anybody named Herod because the legacy of Herod is awful. Herod the Great, he's the guy in the Christmas story. And then there's Herod uh, Archelaus. And then there's Herod Antipas. Then there's Herod Philip of, of Tetrarch. And then there's Herod Agrippa, who we're hearing about now. And then there's Herod Agrippa II, all of which are awful humans, are enemies of Christianity. And if you track the Herod name, it's anybody, they all want to fight Jesus. And they all want to kill Jesus. And they all want to root anybody out that is, is uh, claiming to be a follower of Christ. They're the enemy of the, the modern-day Christian or the, the first-century Christian at this time. And so Herod continues to pop up. Herod is the one, and, and so then we know people named Paul, but we don't know people named Herod because when Herod dies, the last Herod, that Herod Agrippa II, the trial of Paul at Caesarea, what we're experiencing right now in the text, when he's gone, Herod's gone. Paul knew that there was going to be enemies against this calling in his life. Paul knew that he was going to face regular persecution, regular battle, especially having the transformation that he had. Paul understood that he was called to do something abnormal. And so when he stands before his accusers, he can say with great confidence, if I'm to die over this, fine. This is when we read the Acts story, these last four or five chapters of Acts, and you couple it with Philippians. You couple it with Romans. You couple it with First and Second Corinthians. You, you couple it with Colossians and Ephesians. And you read the way in which he writes. And we've talked about this a couple different times. You read the way in which he writes to these churches which he's planted. You can see how committed he is to the, to the mission of Jesus to the ends of the earth. To the every last one of, of every last human on this planet needs to hear about Jesus Messiah. So no matter what, I will continue to preach the good news. No matter what happens on me physically, I will continue to proclaim 
Jesus is the son of God. He came, he lived, he died on the cross and he was raised. He, I will continue to preach the resurrected Christ. I will continue to share with the world, even though I have enemies, even though this Herod fella, multiple generations of Herod continues to come after Christians. I will continue to fight the good fight. I will continue to run the race. I will continue to fix my eyes on Jesus. I will continue to follow after and I will continue to proclaim the good news regardless of what happens to me. I will stand before my accusers and say, Jesus is Lord and he is resurrected and he is alive. And this is, this is the enemy of the gospel is so committed to shutting down the words of his followers. The enemy of the gospel is so committed to shutting us down. Turn to me really quick, famous passage, 1 Peter. 1 Peter 5. Oh, I just fat-fingered that. Peter's finishing up his letter after encouraging the saints. He says in uh, verse 6 of chapter 5, So humble yourself under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up and in honor, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Setting the stage, humble yourself. Give all those things that are pressing on you to the Lord. He will lift you up in due time. Then here we go. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. See, this is an encouragement to the church because across the planet, as we gather together on a Sunday morning, we know that we have a common enemy. And we have a common truth in that Jesus died for us so that we can have life in him. And so there's this call to live, stand firm, to be living out loud in front of, in the face of our enemy. And what ends up happening here, I, I just, we tend to cower. I'm going to say myself as well. I tend to cower when I face the enemy. I want to make my life convenient, comfortable, and uh, very simple. I don't want the pressure of having to, to fight my battle every single day. Come on, there's time where I'm going to fight my battle, but not every day. Just relax a little bit because every day wears me out. But, but Peter is saying, listen, you've got to be aware and alert of this enemy who wants to kill and devour you. The devil is ready to silence. He's committed to shutting you down. And the enemy of the first century is Herod. He did everything in his power to shut down the message of Christ. Verse 10 of 1 Peter 5, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore support and strengthen you and he will place you on a firm foundation foundation all power to him forever amen i think one of the biggest struggles for the modern day believer the 21st century christian is that we don't feel called very often we don't feel like we have purpose we might believe the truth of the cross 
we might bow and pray and say, thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. And that, that salvation that you experience never becomes a purpose and calling in your life. And so it ends up withering. You end up falling, tripping, stumbling, never feeling like you get a, a, a hold of this thing, always feeling like something's after you or pushing you down. And I'm telling you, there is nothing, um, let me say that differently. The enemy is fierce and wants to silence and shut you down. And it's, there's nothing better for the enemy than to take a believer and make them feel as though they have no purpose. Amen. When you are without a rudder, you just drift. And when you drift, you tend to go wherever the wind blows you. And the enemy doesn't usually blow you to the right direction. That's exactly right. <laughs> You never go east, I guess is what we're saying. That's why, what's his name, wrote that song, Go West, Young Man. I don't even know who wrote that song. What's, Michael W. Smith, the great composer of all things Jesus. And bad hair, bad hair. And he had a mustache for a while too, so be proud, everyone. The enemy will change your direction and when you stop understanding or even embracing or even com being committed to how you've been called. And I, I believe we talk about this a little bit at the church in general. If you go to discovery class, you start to learn ways in which you can grow for us. So you, and I think we all kind of know there's some common sense things. We, we try to put you in a place here at Casper Alliance Church to where you can access uh, ways in which you grow the fastest, the easiest, and understand who you are in God's story so that you're able to really continue to embrace and walk and, and push on your purpose so that when you do stand before your accuser, you can say, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's fight. Let's fight. I'm, I can fight this. That's why we have our mission statement, fighting forward through, together through hope in Jesus Christ. It matters to understand how you've been called and why you've been called and what you've been called to. When we sit and just wait for whatever's next, we are pushed away. We are, we are rudderless. Now here, when we think about this, you have to understand that, that Paul knew that he could eventually go to the death, whatever that looks like. For him, crucified, hung upside down, executed. So when he writes this, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. And we've been doing this the last couple of weeks. I've been coupling with not just the text of Acts, but been coupling it with some of the things he's written to the churches to encourage them. Understand, as he says, if I deserve to die for what you're accusing me of, I'm ready to go. He's, he is writing this very letter to the Corinthian church with this authority. 1 Corinthians 15, picking up at verse 51. Actually, let's go to start with 50. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit a kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in a blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And who, 
And we who are living will also be transformed for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For the sin uh, is the sting that results in death and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when he writes this, he's writing and he's saying the words to his accuser with this sort of belief in his mind. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? You've got nothing on me. I don't even care what you do to me. I have a mission, I have a purpose, and my purpose has been stated already. I'm going to stand before kings, I'm going to stand before courts, I'm going to stand before people, and I'm going to go proclaim the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. That's my calling, and I don't care what you do to me, I'm going to continue to do it. Period. When he writes the 1 Corinthians 15 passage, and the church reads that, and they understand, as news has spread, that he's standing on trial. What an encouragement to the church. What an encouragement to the body of Christ across the planet. So when we read these out loud, we read these texts out loud, and there's people that are facing persecution. Sure, they're not tuning in to Casper Alliance Church, but this is the victory call to those who are facing persecution, to those who are standing before a court, for those who are being threatened to be crucified or killed for their faith. This is the language of the victor. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? There is no condemnation now. For those who are in Christ, I get to live for Jesus and Jesus alone. You can do whatever you want to my body. I will prevail because God has transformed me through his son, Jesus. That's, that creates this purpose for living that's different than, hey, let's stockpile as much cash as possible. Let's go, let's go hide in our house and have Walmart deliver our food so I never have to go and vi visit Walmart people ever again. Just send me my groceries. Let's order, let's order food and they'll deliver my pizzas and I can get my drinks and I can just sit in my house and I can watch my internets and I can play my video games and I can just sit there. And maybe the Red Wings will win. They did, six to one last night. And we'll enjoy life in our home. Is that the call of those who love Jesus? No, this is why Jinx makes fun of me that we'll never be rich. Because if I were rich, I would never drive on an icy road again and I would never check a mole ever again. And if I did check a mole, I'd use telehealth. There's a picture on my phone, by the way, of a mole that I like try to take behind my head to like expand. <laughs> I saw it last night, I was like, I'm an idiot. <laughs> Just schedule a dermatology appointment, right? <sighs> All right, worship team, come up. We need to be careful of worldly security. It's a trap. It doesn't mean don't plan. Our uh, financial coach, Mark, would tell us, you have to plan. You got to plan. But there is a trap of worldly security. We need to expect the worst in our politicians. We need to expect the worst in our governmental leaders. We need to expect the worst from anyone and everybody that's an enemy of Jesus. Expect the worst. To live, to truly live, we need to be free 
of the fear of death. That's a hard thing to believe and to say. When I was a kid, I did not want, I made the joke about the rapture. I did not want the rapture to come. I was so scared because they showed me that dumb video, A Thief in the Night, where <laughs> I was a little kid. I was so scared of what it looked like to go to heaven. I was so scared of what it looked like to be a Christian because I was so scared to die. That's not the call of Jesus' people. To really live, and this might seem platitudish or cliche, and it is because it's real, to truly live, the fear of death needs to be gone.